I'm Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? Hi, everyone. Before we get started, I want to give a quick welcome to new listeners and followers. I'm really glad you're here, and I want to get to know you better. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at liz at lizsumner.com or message me on Facebook or Instagram. If you have time for a five-question survey, I'd really appreciate your answers. You'll find it at lizsumner.com slash survey. Just let me know when you filled it out, and I'll send you a coupon code for a free copy of my online course, Eight Steps to Launch Your Dream Life. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. If you're really a fan, you can support the show at patreon.com slash alwayswanted. Thank you so much for listening. Here's the interview. My guest today is Dr. Christy Sumner. In 2014, she coupled her passion for travel, history, and the mysterious to form Soul Sisters Paranormal, an all-female team made up of Sumner, her two sisters, and two friends. Together, they've traveled to some of the most historic and reportedly haunted locations in the U.S. to determine for themselves if spirit activity does exist. Welcome, Christy. Hi, Liz. Thank you for having me today. So, first of all, tell me, how did you become interested in the paranormal? My sisters and I have always had a fascination with the paranormal. We'd watch, you know, television shows, popular media shows um, related to the paranormal and the afterlife. But we always said to ourselves, if we had the opportunity to conduct our own paranormal investigation, we'd absolutely jump on that. And so because we live in different parts of the country, we would routinely get together for girls weekends, girls trips. And so in 2013, we had the opportunity to go to Moundsville, West Virginia, which is where the West Virginia State Penitentiary is located. So we had a friend of the family that sat on the board of that location. And he said, when you're here, why don't you just stay the night in the prison and see if you can communicate with our local resident spirits? And so we jumped at that chance. And so we had some voice recorders, a digital camera, a couple night vision video cameras. So it was a very rudimentary investigation. But we left that experience with what we felt was compelling paranormal in, uh, activity. We were hearing footsteps, we were hearing voices, we were hearing door slams. So after that, we really decided to formalize Soul Sisters Paranormal. And since then, we just go around the country visiting historic and, and reportedly haunted locations. And was the prison reportedly haunted? It was a known site? Absolutely. And how did you learn how to be an investigator? It's one of those things that you really, you learn as you go, honestly. Um, We knew a few techniques, just again, basically from watching popular media shows. So we had some techniques about asking questions and such. But really, when you start doing this, you really kind of form your own techniques. Um, You find your own groove, if you will. And so there's really no textbook way to actually perform a paranormal investigation. Um, As I said before, everybody just kind kind of follows 
themselves their own um, trail, if you will. And so we've we've come up with a formula that we think works pretty well for us. Again, we're an all-female team, so we go into these locations. We'll set up night vision video cameras, voice recorders, and such, and um, then we'll go through an extensive review of all of the audio and, and, and video footage that we capture. So for us, it really works, um, and it's one of those things you just build over time. Tell me again the various pieces of equipment that are involved. Absolutely. So for, for Soul Sisters Paranormal, we take in voice recorders. We have about 12 of those. Um, we have night vision video cameras that we leave in different parts of the, the building or the location that we're in. We have handheld equipment. A, a lot of that equipment has been um, that is used for other purposes, but has been modified for paranormal investigation. So for example, we have a device that electricians use to measure electricity or electromagnetic energy in a location. So we'll take some of those in to see if we can find any what we call power spikes, even though there's no electricity in some of these locations. We have what we call a spirit box, which is essentially an AM FM radio that's been modified to very quickly sweep through frequencies. So we'll take that with us as well to see if we can get some spirit activity on that. So we just have various pieces of handheld equipment that we take with us on these. But we really like to take our, again, those those voice recorders and night vision video cameras because we want to have eyes and ears on every part of the location that we can while we're there. And did you build the uh, modified equipment or design it? How did you get the modifications made? A lot of it is, is um, other investigators in the field. They actually specialize in building these pieces of equipment. Um, so we really just purchase a lot of them. Um, we are, we're also very big on taking what we call trigger items. And these are items that, based on our research of the location, we feel are very germane to the events that happen there. So, for example, when we went to Fort Mifflin, which is a Revolutionary War fort in Philadelphia, we knew that there was a guy that was held in solitary confinement. And, and the solitary confinement cell is underground. Um, you know, no, no light can penetrate this, this, this solitary confinement cell. So when we went, we took cigarettes, we took water, we took bread, things that we thought somebody in solitary confinement would want. And so we left that for him and we felt we got some positive responses because of that. So we're very big on taking, like I said, trigger items. Um, but the the, special, the equipment that we use is, is really pieces that we just collect from other paranormal investigators. Uh, we, we purchased them from, from them. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of about trigger items and sort of like tempting to the spirit or showing that you're coming in friendship or something like that. Is that is that sort of its purpose? That's exactly right. So the, the belief structure that we work on is we believe that we're actually trying to communicate with somebody that had a human existence, right? They, they, they were born, they lived for some various amount of time and they died. And so we're trying to communicate with that spirit of that individual. And so the, the very essence of human existence is to be recognized. And so that's how we go into our investigations. We always introduce ourselves. Um, we say we'd like to speak with you if anybody wants to communicate with us. So the trigger items are really just an extension of that. It's, it's basically of a, a, we understand, you know, what you went through or what your likes or dislikes were. And, and we're, we're willing to give you something in recognition of that in hopes that you'll communicate with us. Um, so another example is um, when we went to West Virginia State Penitentiary, we've been there twice. So the second time we went, there is the spirit of a man named Red Snyder that is supposed to be inhabiting the, the jail. This was a in life. This guy was the worst of the worst. He was a leader of the Aryan Brotherhood. He um, was the, the the guy that the head honcho really of the prison. So anybody that he wanted killed was killed. He was in, in jail for murder. But he had two two vices in life. The first one was tobacco. And the second was watching the, the soap opera Days of Our Lives. 
So every day they would wheel a television into in front of his cell. He'd watch Days of Our Lives, and then they'd wheel the TV back out. So because we knew that, we downloaded a, an episode of Days of Our Lives onto the laptop, and we left it in his cell, and we left it run um, for an hour. And afterwards, we walked back into the cell and said, did you see the Days of Our Lives episode? Did you see what we left you? And we captured a man's voice saying yes. And so that to us is, again, extremely telling because we felt that he was appreciative of what we left for him. So I don't I don't know a lot about this subject, but my belief is that spirits who are still here or, or who appear as ghosts and stuff haven't haven't completed something uh, in this realm. And so they 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 stick around the haunted place and instead of moving on, is that sort of accurate? And are these the people that you measure that you you capture do some of them eventually move on yes ma'am so the theory that we work with is that there's really three in our personal experience there's three reasons why a spirit would remain behind or be willing to communicate with us the first is that they do have unfinished business so for some reason something has to be fulfilled um, before they actually move on to whatever's next i'm a christian so i'll call it heaven um so before they ascend to heaven then then they have to un they have to finish something or something has to be fulfilled so for example my granddaddy died in 1986 and um he and my nana that you know they were the only people that they had married. So um, they had been married for, for, for years. So he died in 1986 and, and I was extremely close with my Nana. And so in 2016, I had a very vivid dream that my granddaddy came to me and he told me, you're going to be getting a call soon. I'm waiting for your Nana. You're going to be getting a call soon. And about two weeks after that, my Nana was in an accident. She never really recovered from that. Um, and so she passed in hospice. And the, the dream that I had, it was very specific. I, could, I, I mean, it was the most vivid dream I've ever had. And so when Nana passed and with permission from my family, I looked at my twin sister and I said, I know where Nana's going. She's going to go meet up with granddaddy in that spot where I had the dream, you know, in, in that dream. So we went to the house um, where the, that was depicted in the dream, um, the house that they had lived in. And so we actually asked some questions and we had what we call two K2 meters. And these these meters measure electricity. So the electricity had been turned off in the house because she'd been in hospice for about four weeks. And we were asking questions. And I said, Nana, if you're here, can you light up this meter? And the meter lit up. And I said, can you light up this second meter? And the meter lit up. And so through those back and forth questions, we were able to, what we felt, determine that Nana had met up with granddaddy and they moved on together. So that was granddaddy's unfinished business. He was waiting for Nana. Um, and so that's the first, that's the first example. The second is that, that they, they understand that they're dead, but for some reason they're stuck. They can't find the way to whatever is next. Um, so we were investigating at Hales Bar Dam in Tennessee, and we were asking questions um, in the series of tunnels that run underneath this dam. And the reports are that there were some children killed in the mid-1960s as they were using these tunnels to go to school. And so we were asking questions. And one of our investigators, Michelle, said, why are you here? Why haven't you moved on? And we captured a child's voice saying, I can't, I'm stuck. So in that instance, I believe he knows he's dead, but he can't find whatever's next or how to get to whatever's next. And then the third reason we operate on is that they fear retribution 
for the life they lived on earth. And I think these these are the spirits that we communicate with in jails and prisons. They're they're just afraid because of what they what they did here in in real life that once they move on they'll be punished severely for that. So they're willing just to stay in that location. Um, so like I said, that's why I think I think jails and prisons are are, um, are pretty pretty active when it comes to paranormal activity because those individuals just don't really want to ascend to whatever's next. And do you have anyone on your team or resources that help the spirits finish their business or get unstuck? We know of people that that do that. Uh, we had those in our in our in our network of connections. We personally don't do that. We feel that our goal is to go in and actually perform research surrounding the location, get the historical background of that location, and attempt to either explain or debunk any paranormal activity. Uh, so we really come from a research mindset. Um, we're, we're very big on, on, again, researching the history of that and then researching the location as well as the paranormal activity. So we don't feel it's really our place to actually assist a spirit to move on. Um, if, if the owner or the manager of the location feels that that's necessary, we have people that we call to, to actually come in and perform that service, but nobody on our team actually does it. So what percentage of Soul Sisters Paranormal's business is personal, your curiosity to go to new places, and what percentage is people hiring you to come and investigate? It's, I'd say it's probably about 75, 25. The, what we call it is we've got, again, there's two forms of, of investigations. The first one is what we call commercial investigations. And I simply use that word because we go to these larger commercial locations that have reported paranormal activity. So Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, the St. Augustine Lighthouse, um, you know, Fort Mifflin. These are all in, uh, these are all in, are locations that that on a, in, during the day they hold tours, that paranormal tours, guest tours, historical tours, museum tours. Um, so those are the commercial locations that we go to. And then the second investigation are, as you mentioned, those private paranormal investigations where a business owner or a homeowner will call us and ask if they if we can come in and investigate their location because they feel there's some type of unexplained activity. Um, so I'd say it's probably about 75, 25, we, the commercial locations versus the, uh, the private investigations. And what do you do with your research? For the commercial locations, what we do is we actually put together videos, um, really historical documentary videos coupled with uh, that, that paranormal evidence that we find. So like I said before, we, we are very much into the history of these locations, and we feel the history drives the paranormal. So without that history, there would not be any paranormal activity or reports of paranormal activity. So our goal really when we go to these locations is to highlight that rich historical narrative because our audience members, a lot of them might not have the chance to experience that location to really understand what it was what it was about why it was important the events that happened there so the first thing that we do is we actually put together that historical narrative and put that in our video and that that really starts our, our video presentation our episode about that location and then we marry that with any paranormal activity that we find during our investigation so that that's the really the driving force behind what we do um, is really to put that narrative out there um, to really enlighten our audience to these locations locations. When we do a private paranormal investigation, um, we don't release any of that information. We feel that that's private for the homeowner or the business owner. If they want that released, then they can absolutely do that. But Soul Sisters Paranormal, for privacy reasons, won't release any of that. Christy tells us about some of her more hair-raising investigations after the break. So tell me some more stories and anything particularly made your hair stand on end? 
<laughs> We've had several of those. You know, you can't go into a an abandoned prison or a sane asylum and, and not really have your hair stand up or to be startled in some form or fashion. But, you know, I'd say, because I do get this question a lot, I, I'd say for the historical perspective, um, Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia is probably the most interesting place that we've investigated just for that that history, that narrative. Uh, this is a Revolutionary War fort that um, you know was 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 really built to to help you know preserve the, the dream that America can become a country. So to to be able to walk in there and really have that tactile experience with that history to us was extremely amazing and and, and important. So from the historical perspective, Fort Mifflin is is an amazing location uh, for paranormal activity. We've had several locations that I would rank very high. Um, the first one is the old Gilcrest County Jail in Trenton, Florida. That's about an hour's west of Gainesville, Florida. And this location, it's it, it's a small county jail. It was built in 1928. It was operation until 1968. And as far as jails go, it's a very small footprint. It has four cells on the bottom level and then five cells on the top level. And then it has a small jailer's house that's connected via a doorway to that bottom level. And it's it's not in the greatest of locations. In fact, when the first time I investigated there, I was actually investigating with a friend of mine, Miranda Young from Ghost Biker Explorations, and she and I had decided to collaborate on this investigation. So she and I were the only two people on the property that night. And the owner had told us, she's like, this this isn't in the greatest of locations. And if, if you have your guns with you, if you carry, I highly recommend you take your guns with you. And so we, we did, we kept them on us all night. And so when we first went into the location, we really weren't experiencing anything. We weren't really feeling anything. Our equipment wasn't really alarming. And so Miranda said, I wonder if the spirits think we're law enforcement because we have our guns on us. So um, Miranda said, well, why don't we just take our guns off to show them we're not law enforcement? So I took my gun off and I put it on a cot that was in one of the cells. And Miranda put was taking her gun off and she was laying it down beside mine. And as she's doing so, she said, here's my gun. I'm putting it down nice and slow. And a man's voice, and there's no man in this in this building, a man's voice behind us said, good. And after that, the night was really on. We were capturing shadow figures that we saw with our eyes, and we were also capturing them on, on film. We heard voices, disembodied voices that, again, there's nobody else in the building, but we are capturing men's voices, such as a, a voice whispering, come help me. Um, we were getting touched that night. Um, a lot, Every piece of equipment that we had that night was indicating some type of activity, um, whether it be um, electromagnetic energy, again, there's no power in this building, or, or, or different things like, um, you know, some of our equi equipment was moving. So that was a very compelling night for us. So I'd say as far as activity goes, that's probably the most active location that we've been to. Huh. So <laughs> is this something that that beginners can get into and start becoming investigators on their own? Absolutely. So for, for us, when we, at, when we get asked this question, the first thing that I say is you have to really go into this with the right intention. You know, again, for us, and I say that from my standpoint, it's a, the right intention is to go in with the respect for the individual you're trying to communicate with and respect for the location. You know, just going to a location, you know, expecting to get jump scared or expecting to have a spooky experience or to be touched, that's really in my mind, not the right intention. But if you go in with that respect level, you know, that's what I feel you have to go in with when you investigate these locations. Um, the second thing that I would say is just get a voice recorder. You know, the, the $30 off Amazon, just get a voice recorder, go to a cemetery or somewhere in your back, you, you know, your hometown that's reported to be haunted 
and just sit and ask questions. And so a majority of the time we're sitting in a dark room or a dark building asking questions into the air. 98% of the time we're not getting anything. We're not we're not hearing anything in the moment. But when we go back and listen to our voice recorders, we found that we've captured things that to us are unexplained, that are very compelling. And so you need to go back and listen to that voice recorder fully to see if you've captured anything. And just remember that you have to have patience when you do this. Again, you know, you're not going to capture every something every time you go somewhere. You have to understand that. But the times that you do, it's it really is an adrenaline rush. Wow. Do you do you hear things more often than you see things? We, we do. And I think the reason behind that is when you're talking about something that's using energy to manifest, um, speaking something is is a lot different than materializing, if you will. So I think saying something or using the energy to say something is a lot less strenuous than actually appearing as, as an entity or an apparition. So we do capture a lot of things, again, audibly. Um, I'd say it's probably about 70% of the time we're only capturing them on audio um, that we leave around, uh, like those, those voice recorders. And then about 30%, we actually hear them in the moment. You know, for example, and I'll give you two examples. So the first one is we were at the Exchange Hotel in Gordonsville, Virginia. This was a hotel that was built pre-Civil War, but during the Civil War, it was recommissioned into a Civil War hospital, and it saw both Union and Confederate soldiers. So there's a there's a verified reports of 750 people that died in that house when it was a hospital or in that hotel when it was a hospital. So today it's one of the most reportedly haunted locations in Virginia. So when we went, again, there's just five females on my team. When we went, the five of us that, that were there, but only three of us were in the house, two of us were outside. And we had left a voice recorder in one of the rooms that was decorated to look like the old hotel. So the voice recorder was sitting on the bed in that room. And so the three, the three of us are, were sitting across the hall. And during the night, the voice recorder picked up a male's voice saying, I don't know, I'll be back at 4.30. None of us heard that in the moment. But when we went back and listened to the voice recorder, it, it's, it's crystal clear. I mean, you can hear exactly what this man is saying. Everybody that I play it to hears that exact same phrase. And it's extremely clear. Again, there are no men in the house. I can control for that. So when when I know that there's no men in the house, yet I'm capturing a man's voice, that's something that I can't explain. So that's that's an example of an EVP that we've captured on a stationary voice recorder that none of us heard in the moment. Now, another example is we were at the Grand Old Lady Hotel, which is in Silva, North Carolina. And um, this is a hotel that was built in 1905. It was built as part of the railroad system. It's a three-story hotel. It uh, has about 100 guest rooms, large ballrooms. You know, just it's it's a really opulent hotel. But it's been it, it really has been almost kept like a time capsule. There's no TVs in the room. You know, they they want it to to remain that rustic feel when you go and, and stay in this hotel. So we were able actually to book the entire hotel for a weekend. So it was just myself, my twin sister, Jenny, and again, Miranda from Ghost Biker Explorations. The three of us were the only females, the only people in this hotel for a weekend. So during the weekend, we were capturing things that, again, we can't explain. But the most compelling piece of evidence that we captured was during the second night, we decided to stay up in a suite that was on um, the level where that's the most reportedly haunted hallway in the building. So it was a suite, it had three beds, but it only had one door that accessed the entire room. So we closed the door, we had a night vision video camera on the outside of the door, we had a night vision video camera on the inside of the door. So it had eyes on both sides of the door. And so Miranda was in the bed closest to the door, 
Jenny and I were in the beds in the back room. So we had said our goodnight. You could hear us say goodnight on the voice recorder. And about 15 minutes later, there's a man's voice outside the door saying, please don't go. And Miranda said, did y'all hear that? And I said, yes. And she said, what did you think that sounded like? And I said, there's a man outside our door. And she said, yes, there is. But there's no men there. There's nothing there. So that's an example of us actually hearing something in the moment. And I confirm, I can confirm via the, the, the video that there's nobody else there with us at the time. What happens when you get pushback? When people t- say, oh, it's, it's not true, the, the, the pieces of evidence that you are capturing, what kinds of things do people say and how do you respond to them? We, we do get that that cynicism, um, that skepticism about what we do. And the, the first thing that I actually say is I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to convince anybody that wo- that what I believe or what I am seeing is real. OK, um, that's like trying to say my religion is correct and I'm not going to do that. So what we do is when we go to these locations, we document everything. So I, I, I show in the videos, I can show you that. We're the only people here, that we are locked in this facility, that these are the cameras that we're setting up and what we control for as much as we can control for. So, again, we all have, you know, on our team is unique because we all have advanced degrees. I've got a Ph.D. My my twin sister has a Ph.D. We've got two lawyers and a master's holder on the team. So we go into this with a very research minded mindset. So when we control, when we go in, we first try to find out where the light pollution is, where the noise pollution is, anything that we can control for. And we document that. And those things that we can't control for, what we're left with are what we call unexplainable. I'll, I'll never say that a place is haunted. I say these are things that in the moment I cannot explain. I can't explain a male's voice outside of a door when I, I have I have night vision video camera on the door and they were the only people in the in the place. I can't explain a child's voice in a location when I know that there's no children. But if somebody wants to come to us and say, I think it's this, this, and this, and I can prove it, that's absolutely great. I would love to have that dialogue because I, I don't want to put in, out anything that that is false. But for us in this moment is absolutely unexplainable. And so that's really how I approach people who, again, come at us with the, with a cynical attitude. It, it's, it's these things that I just can't explain, but you're free to believe what you want. Um, what we're putting out there is, again, what we feel is compelling paranormal activity. What's on your bucket list of places to visit? We have several of those. Um, the first one I would say would be the Queen Mary out in California. That's a, a, a ship, a vessel um, that allows paranormal investigators to investigate, but it also functions as a, a hotel. So I would love to get out there. Um, Leap Castle in Ireland is on my bucket list. I would, I would just really anything in the, the UK or Ireland, just because of the rich history and, and the background and everything that 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 location has gone through. I would love to get over there. Um, the Monte Cristo Plantation in Australia uh, would absolutely be an, an, an interesting place to investigate as well. So there's a, there's a lot of locations internationally that we'd like to get to, but just here in the States, and they don't have to be large locations. They can be these small little, you know, back community haunts um, or, or legends or lore that really excite us. And if we can go to those locations, you know, we, there's hundreds, there's thousands of them in the U.S. that we would love to get to as well. But as far as larger locations, um, the ones that I mentioned are, are pretty high on our bucket list. How can people find out more about 
Soul Sisters Paranormal. We have a website. It's www.soulsistersparanormal.com. And pretty much anything you want to know about us is on that website. All of our investigation videos are there. Uh, where we're going next. We've been asked to speak at different uh, conventions and symposiums. So the, all of those are listed there and the dates we're going to be there. So if anybody wants to see us, um, you can you can follow us along there. And we're also very active on Facebook under Soul Sisters Paranormal. And we're also uh, pretty active on YouTube, again, under Soul Sisters Paranormal. So I'll put all of those links into the show notes. Are there any other resources that you could recommend for somebody who's just starting out? Again, I would say, again, go in with the right intentions um, and then do, really just do your research first on the locations that you want to investigate. Um, watch other paranormal investigators and see you know what they found, what their technique is, but then really just kind of formulate your style. Uh, you know, there's there's really no experts in this field. If anybody were to say I'm an expert paranormal investigator, I would run because there there are no experts in what we do. Everything that we do is based on on theory, and you know none of us will have the right answers to this. But again, that's what makes it so exciting for us. So, you know, like I said, go in with the right intentions and just really have that patience and just enjoy it and have fun with it. Because, again, you're in these locations that are so historical and just have that amazing narrative that, you know, just immerse yourself in the history first and then the paranormal will come. Thank you. That was that was exciting and spooky. (laughs) My thanks to Dr. Christy Sumner. You can find out more about her and Soul Sisters Paranormal in the show notes. I invite everyone to write and tell me what you've always wanted to try. I'm Liz Sumner, reminding you to be bold, and thanks for listening.